Hello, my name is Ben Friedman here from Ben and Brancy and Movie Presents the Wild Wild West, where we are talking all things Wes Anderson for the month of April. Joining me today is my co-host, Joel Amon. Hey, Ben, is it really going to be the next few weeks? How many more movies do we have to get through, man? We have the French Dispatch after that, and then we're doing our kind of uh, March Madness bracket, where it's, if we were the voters... If you and I got to dictate who won, what would actually be the best Wes Anderson character? Well, so we have, I guess, like you only have to deal with me for two more weeks. Yeah, we got about Thank two God more weeks, and it sounds like Branson will be joining us at least for one of those episodes. So we won't even have to deal with you fully, Joel. You'll, you'll, we'll, be, we'll be one third now. Yeah, no one wants that. Yeah, <laughs> but let's just get into this movie because I have some thoughts on this movie. And maybe some of them will be controversial. I hope not, and I hope I do this in a respectful manner. But we're just going to jump into it with the 2018 film Isle of Dogs. And I'll give the film historian as I usually do. It is directed by, of course, Wes Anderson. It is directed by him. It has a screenplay by Wes Anderson, story by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, and Jason Schwartzman, and Konachi Namaro, who also voices the mayor in this movie. Uh, I really hope that is a correct fact. Uh, I'm double-checking that right now. I was completely right, so good on me. So it is written by them, is produced by Wes Anderson, and it stars, wow, wow, this is another just crazy ensemble cast he has. Uh, Brian Cranston in his first appearance in a Wes Anderson film post-Breaking Bad career. Uh, it stars Brian Cranston as Chief, a stray dog. It also stars Edward Norton as Rex, Bob Balaban, as King, Jeff Goldblum as Duke, Bill Murray as Boss, uh, Greg Gerwig as Tracy Walker, uh, a lot of thoughts on her to come, Francis McDormand as the interpreter, Scarlett Johansson, Harvey Keitel, F. Murray, Abraham, Yoko Ono, Tilda Swinton, and uh, Courtney B. Vance. Uh, the list keeps going on and on. Kara Hayward's briefly in this movie. I uh, this, this list is long and honestly, uh, Based on how you guys voted for the Wild Wild West, there's a lot of characters and there's really not a lot that people gravitated towards. But this film comes out in 2018, released March 23rd, 2018. I saw it opening weekend. I remember specifically seeing it with a few friends, languages in English and Japanese, and it had a box office of 64.2 million. If you remember that Grand Budapest Hotel had a budget of about 40 million and grossed, uh, sorry, 28 million and grossed about 180 million. This one definitely takes a step back. This film has uh, definitely some critical success. It is fairly well received. There were some criticisms towards moments of this film or just stylistic choices of this film that we'll get into. But for the most part, it is still positively received. It gets nominated for two Academy Awards, one for Best Animated Feature and one for Best Original Score. Score, again, done by Alexandra Desplat, who has previously worked with Wes Anderson now for a few films. Uh, animated Feature, it ends up losing out to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I'm glad it lost. Rightfully so, let's rightfully be honest. So. As much and as I love dogs, rightfully so. Rightfully so, and it also, uh, Incredibles 2 is nominated that year as well, and honestly... Isle of Dogs is my third favorite of those. So, to me, it was just not a film that I wanted to particularly see win. Um, and, yeah, we're going to get into this film. One thing that I wanted to note before we get into this, I've noticed this one actually tends to be the most divisive film within Wes Anderson fans. People really dislike this film in certain parts of the Wes Anderson community, I've noticed. Like, this is the one that kind of gets ragged on the most. And I think there's a certain reason for that. This film has nowhere to go but down, based on what the trajectory of Wes Anderson's career is. Let's think about it. 2014, Grand Budapest Hotel, critical commercial success. The biggest success of Wes Anderson's career. It has a huge box office return nominated for like nine academy awards and then like let's even go back further a bit moonrise kingdom great success the fantastic mr fox comes out another animated feature 
also having animals, also directed by Wes Anderson, starring a lot of the same voice actors who are in Isle of Dogs, critically beloved and what people, uh, just some of their favorite uh, Wes Anderson's characters in like Mr. Fox and Ash Fox and a bunch of those guys. So this film really doesn't have anywhere to go but down. And I think that kind of hurts the reception of this film. I also just think, and this is kind of my uh, feel, uh, hill to die on, I also think it is a good movie, not a particularly great movie. I remember seeing it in theaters, really liking it, haven't thought about it really since, and yesterday was the first day I had seen it in about three years. So that kind of tells you my kind of love for this movie, and that's the case of, I just don't think about it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. This is my, uh, this is my first time seeing Isle of Dogs. I actually really did mean to see this one a few years back, because I thought it was a cool, cute little concept. I love stop-motion animated films, and... Man, Indian Indian Paintbrush is just a great studio as far as the art direction goes in this movie. But it really, uh, it was a very, just like, say, uh, Darjeeling or Rushmore, I think the, actually less so Rushmore, but more like Darjeeling, I think the word that came to my mind a lot of the time while watching this was quiet. <laughs> It was just a very quiet film, not in a particularly soothing or calming kind of way. Just, it was quiet. I think I get what you mean by that. I think how I interpret this film is, I think it is competent a lot of the time. Like, it is very well made. And that's kind of some of the best words I can describe of the film. Yeah, there wasn't anything uh particularly stand out even the i'd say the voice performances like overall they're all good actors so of course those are going to be good nothing really captured me <laughs> nothing there was no character that really captured me there's no mr fox there's no monsieur gustave there's not even a yeah. zero there's not even like a uh just a throwaway character like willem dafoe in uh, sorry, in Grand Budapest Hotel. There's yeah. no character that I really remember. And I think that's really reflective of the fact that there was a 64-character tournament. And if I'm correct, there was only one character from Isles of Dogs that even made it to the second round. And I think there were eight characters that I pulled to rep be represented in that bracket. And the only one that makes it out is Brian Cranston's character. Yeah, Chief. Uh, the main though, Chief. But, He's the um, only one that makes it to round two. And I'm yeah. he gets eliminated, I'm pretty sure, in round two. Yeah, exactly. And coming off the... What a stellar cast and everyone doing s such a great job in Grand Budapest Hotel. Having this just be so... There and quiet. I was just kind of like... Okay. <laughs> this is yeah. what we're talking about later. It just felt... Like I said, I, I describe it as average. And that's what I thought about the, a lot of this film. It felt like there were some actors in here who were in here because it's like, oh, Wes, Wes Anderson's now that auteur, but he's also that cool auteur that we can like work with. Let's join him for a movie. And it's just kind of like they're there, but they don't have like particularly meaningful roles. Like Scarlett Johansson is an actress I like who is kind of a nothing in this movie. I don't find the character of Nutmeg particularly memorable. She has a few good, like, jokes here and there. Yeah, she's a, she's a good little gag character. Yeah, but she's like... That's it. That's, that's about it. That. And that's about what I find most of the performances in this movie. The one exception, and let's just get into it. Joel, if you had to say, like, who's your favorite character in this movie, who would that be? I mean, I guess Chief. Okay, I... Like, I guess? Because he's the main character, right? And he has the most yeah, story. like, he just has the most screen... Yeah, I did notice that this this movie was struggling to balance its characters. Like, the other four dogs, it had... it After the halfway point, they didn't know what to do with them anymore. They really don't, like... So they just kind of weren't there. <laughs> like, I liked their little banter, though. I liked, like, that stuff, the whole, uh, the voting system, I thought was hilarious. Oh, yeah, where Edward Norton's character Rex just keeps saying, like, uh, all in favor, and they're all in favor, I, and, and Cranston's never in favor. Yeah. 
See, I thought that was funny, and then, but like again, past the halfway point of the movie, they don't know what to do with them. So. It's a dynamic that works, and I agree. That first opening scene where all of them, where they're they open the trash bag to determine if it's worth fighting yeah. for the food. That's a really funny scene that introduces all the characters very well. Uh, after that, they just kind of like they have their comedic like stick, like you know, Jeff Goldblum is going to be the eccentric of the dogs. You know that uh, Bill Murray is going to be, you know, maybe the little bit of the older little bit more like quote-unquote Bill Murray character. Bill Murray dog. Bill Murray as a dog. Like, kind of doing his, like, his comedy, all that. And you're just, like, kind of left with it. You're just, like, nothing feels not necessarily tangible, but just nothing feels like it. much thought was put into it. The one character that I will say, like, if I had to select, this is my favorite character from Isle of Dogs. I, he's the MVP of this movie again when I thought he was the MVP of Moonrise Kingdom. I thought Edward Norton as Rex was really funny. He's the right. dog that's constantly doing, you know, the voting. Uh, he's the one that uh, has faith in humanity. He's kind of the balance out to Brian Cranston's chief. Mm -hmm. I thought his character and his comedic delivery throughout the movie actually hits really right. And, Joel, here's the point that I'll bring. First time I saw this movie, I remember the one scene that I will always remember seeing it in theater is the scene where you just think all the dogs get uh, incinerated. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty, like, seeing it in the theaters first time with the audience, that was a good belly laugh. Like, a good dark humor. Yeah, no, that was, that was funny. And, like, so... Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. It's really funny, to be honest. And then, like, so I remember that scene in particular, and then I didn't remember much of them after that point in time in the movie upon my first rewatch. And then when I was rewatching it again for this time, like, rewatching it yesterday i remember that scene obviously it doesn't have quite the same impact because i know that joke's coming so it's the shock value of that joke is kind of gone and then you're right it's it's literally kind of the joke is just simply a plot device to get them out of the movie for like 20 minutes because yeah. they don't know what else to do with those characters it's kind of just us problem of this whole movie is they just really don't know what to do with a lot of the characters uh, that's just one of the few problems of this film I want to state I don't hate this movie I really don't I think this is I do the four star reviews I'll just say right now if I'm giving it uh, out of four stars I'm giving it a two and a half it gets the positive review for me yeah but it's just no, like, like it's it's so, un it's so unmemorable for me. Yeah, exactly. It didn't... I didn't... I really like dogs, and I was really... I was excited to see this movie. But, um... I mean, as I was watching it, I was just kind of bored for the first 50 minutes of it. That's also the other thing. Glad <laughs> you brought up the time, Joel. We've been talking in the past few weeks about, like, how Wes Anderson just makes quick-paced films that are, like, less than two hours. This one's about an hour and 50, I think. 40 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It feels way longer. Yeah, it really did. Like, legitimately, this like this could have been the longest Wes Anderson movie to me just didn't feel. Where I'm just sitting there, I'm like, okay, let's move it on. And that's because it's this issue that we talked about last week, Jalal. I don't know if you remember, but when we were talking about Grand Budapest Hotel, I said when a guy clearly gets creative control over everything and stops making certain decisions or stops being basically told no and editing certain things, they can make something brilliant and they can or also make something really self-indulgent. Yeah. In this case, it feels very self-indulgent. No, I, the movie did feel like it had some bloat, but I will, I will say there is one particularly, particular scene that stood out to me. Just as far as, like, wow, I could watch this for hours. It was just the chef making sushi. <laughs> really? That's the scene that I was, that I was like, this I was about to point out to that scene, too. That was literally... Like, this is some visual ASMR that I can get down with. I... 
it's a very well animated film. I will not take away from this film that no, it's very well animated. The animation studio did a wonderful job. Can't take anything away from them. That scene, the reason I was about to bring it up is because when I was thinking of an example of... Something uh, you definitely cut out. You could definitely cut out and it doesn't affect the story at all. Oh, not at all. Like, that sushi <laughs> scene you could straight up just cut out. It is like so a good 30 seconds of it, the movie. Yeah, you could just make it a, 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 just a YouTube video and I would love it. Yeah. But as a part of the film, it had nothing to do. <laughs> and there's, there's no multiple point. scenes in this film throughout. Like, there's the scene where the sumo wrestlers are getting ready to, like, battle. And it's just kind of that for them, like, 30 seconds before they actually battle. And then it just, it, the reason that scene's there is because you find out Mayor uh, Komiyashi is sitting there in the audience watching. And it's like, why don't you just start with the fact that the mayor is at a sumo wrestling thing? You don't need the 30 seconds of introduction for this. I get that it shows really cool animation style and how much detail and attention these filmmakers are putting into it. Uh, in a editing and story standpoint, serve no actual uh, point to the overall story. And there's a lot of that in this movie. That was my biggest like thing with this movie is I kept watching and I'm like, that really doesn't have to be there. Uh, I will say... As much as I did like the, you know, how things looked in this movie, it didn't, part maybe it's because of all the Wes Anderson we've been watching, but nothing particularly stood out to me. I was comparing I, it in my head a lot to Mr. Fox, and in Mr. Fox, I was just thinking it was so much more dynamic and visually warm and clever and quote-unquote animated. <laughs> and this movie just felt very still. Yeah, you know what it is? The color palette was very washed out. It was just gray. A lot of it was gray and white because they were on this trash heap of an island. Yeah. Which, like, that's how it should be, but I don't know. There's so much creativity that could have been had there if they really went with it, you know? I totally agree because that was about to be... Jalal, you and I are on the same page today, which is maybe the first time we've ever been at yeah, all. That's new. Wes Anderson. <laughs> uh, I agree totally with you because I'm just like, the whole time, I'm just like, I am watching something that is a masterpiece in terms of like its art direction, but yet it also just appears really bland and boring. How do those two things exist? Like, how can something be so beautifully animated, but also not be visually interesting at all? Yeah. And it's because you're right. It is just a bunch of grays and whites. None of the lands are really particularly. Uh, well designed. The trash island is just like it's legitimately just that. It's just trash, but it's also not like interesting looking trash. Like you have the idea of trash island. There should be some really cool crap around there, and yeah, really so it's just heaps of like dirt. Yeah. So I've been playing a video game that um I've been telling you about, but I know maybe some of your listeners know about it called Hollow Knight, which yeah. basically takes place in a little a little bug kingdom, and it's. They're, it's so creative. All the and like all of the art design and stuff they design in the world is so pretty to look at and visually interesting. So that was another thing that was really Isle of Dogs is kind of fighting an uphill battle since I've been playing that. And you know, a, a land ruled by dogs again could have been very cool to look at, but it is just it's nothing. Yeah, <laughs> because they is. are just on a trash island. Exactly. There's just no like real thought put into the actual trash of the island, where it's just like you really did just like make a landfill with no actual depth to the landfill. You're just yeah. showing like a landfill from a distance is really the whole aesthetic of this film, which is just, or at least I should say, the aesthetic when you're on Trash Island. Yeah, which in a nutshell is just kind of unappealing <laughs> it is it's just very unappealing it, nothing particularly <laughs> looks interesting uh, you make the point of contrasting it with Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox which is something we don't want to compare and contrast movies necessarily because each film it's hard not to with these exactly. two films in particular because they're both made by Wes Anderson they have a lot of the same uh, people working on them as the cast but and one of them is just so much more fun to watch yeah, one of them has like this vibrant feel to <laughs> it. The comedy is like way more fresh. The the way the world is just developed in that film feels more real and just bright and like just interesting to look at. This one, it really does just feel like bland. And I think the reason it feels bland, specifically on me for rewatch, 
I have now seen every Wes Anderson film. Like, at the point of when I saw Isle of Dogs, I had not. I had seen probably three or four of them. So I was pretty familiar with Wes Anderson's filmmaking, but not like somebody who's like, yeah, I've been and been. studied each one. Like, yeah, exactly. Sat down and thought about it for hours. So, like, the first time it's like, oh, okay, maybe that aesthetic works for me. Second time I'm watching, I'm like, okay, you're taking what you do in movies already and just kind of putting it in animation. But it's just very, just generic throughout. Like, I, I can sit there, I can watch it, and I just think, like, oh, that specific scene, the way it's framed, the way this scene is framed looks like a, something that I've seen in a film like Grand Budapest Hotel. Or the way these characters talk to each other. Because you have seen it yeah. in a film. <laughs> the, the dry humor is like, okay, but I've seen this dry humor in every Wes Anderson film up to this point. The symmetry of the direction. It's like, okay, looks cool. I've seen it in every Wes Anderson. But, yeah, but you've seen it, but you've also seen it done better. That's yeah. the thing. It's not just the fact that you've seen it. Like, how should I say? How should I compare this? You know, in Life Aquatic, you have all the storybookiness of all of the ship. In Grand Budapest Hotel, you have the diorama setups and everything. Fantastic Mr. Fox, you have just this absolutely dynamic direction, and you don't really get any of that in this film. That's the thing, right? Because when the chapter, like the chapters, come up in this film. Like, chapter one, this. You're just like, I've seen this in Royal Tenenbaums, I've yeah. seen this in Grand, I've seen this here, there, like, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it just feels like now the crutch for Wes Anderson, that we are expecting that to be there. And it just, it kind of paints him in a bubble. He puts, he literally painted himself in a corner where it's like, this is what I do. I've made my career successful based on a lot of these tropes and design choices that are so specific for me. But now when you just do it in this movie, it's just like, yeah, it's just a Wes Anderson movie. Like, it doesn't, it loses that specialness of what Wes Anderson yeah. does. It like, really a, doesn't stand out much. There's a shot of Megasaki. There's just like the, the, the city. The city of Megasaki. Specifically, like, it looks like it's the capital. And it's on like this hill being led up by like, there's the stairs on the hill. And I'm like, why does that look so familiar? And I'm like, that just kind of looks like the Grand Budapest Hotel, but just with a Japanese aesthetic kind of thrown onto it. <laughs> like, that's really what it is. Like, it's kind of framed the exact same way. And I'm just like, yeah, that's not really special for me because I've seen that. Like, it looked much more beautiful and appealing in the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's yeah. all my thoughts on this movie. Uh, there's nothing I outwardly dislike in this movie except for one story arc slash character that Tracy. I found. Tracy Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Greta Gerwig, who, if you don't know who Greta Gerwig is, 2017 directs Lady Bird. She's an actress before she becomes a director, but 2017 she gets to direct Lady Bird, takes her on the map. Uh, so, you know, she's just this huge actress uh, and director by the time uh, Isle of Dogs comes out. Because, you know, three months later, she makes one of the biggest indie films of all time with Lady Bird. She's in this film as Tracy Walker. Uh, this is where the conversation can start getting really muddled when we discuss Isle of Dogs and where there have been a lot of think pieces written about Isle of Dogs. and. However you feel about it, positive, negative, whatever you think about the quote-unquote term of cultural appropriation within Isles of Dogs, all of those ideas come back to one central character. And it's Tracy Walker. Yeah. He's the focus of basically all of the criticism or defense of this movie, is this character. I don't even really know how to start with it. I will um, just say... I didn't like it. I sure yeah. did not like her character. I thought, okay, here's me. I thought as a character, fine, whatever. It was kind of just a overall whatever movie. Yeah. And, like, there was bound to be not really a standout character. 
I think something, I mean, in that article that you showed to me, something that actually, while well, I was reading that I stood out is, the only reason she's a foreign exchange student is because of, because of the decision to not include subtitles because you're not supposed to understand the Japanese people because you're kind of supposed to be listening through the dog's ears. Which, let's, let's start with that idea. A lot, a lot to unpack, but let's just start with that idea because it gets really muddled really quickly. Like, you break down that sentence again, like, the, the reason <laughs> there is no subtitles is because you're not supposed, supposed to understand, to understand Japanese like, people. That's already a, really? It's, yeah, it's just like, okay, that starts getting the thing where it's just like you are taking an aesthetic of something and just putting it in this movie to give a reason. Because also there's a point that, uh, and the article I'm referring to is what it's like to watch Isles of Dog as a Japanese speaker. It's published yeah. by Vulture by Emily Yoshida. And there's a specific part where she talks to uh, Japanese people on Twitter. They kind of voice their thoughts on the movie overall, like some of, because this is again the height of the criticism of Isles of Dogs. And one of them basically makes this point about Tracy Walker's character. It's like, you can have all of this. And, like, you know, you can have that metaphor for, like, uh, the foreign language that the Japanese people are speaking and the fact that we can't understand it gives us the feeling of, like, we are the dogs not understanding what their human masters are saying. The issue then becomes, it's like, okay, now step back. And now if you are a Japanese viewer who does understand Japanese, then that whole part of the movie, like that feeling doesn't make any sense. And it's specifically for the audiences who don't understand Japanese. And that's where it becomes, that entered my mind. (laughs) And that's when it becomes cultural appropriation. I feel like where it's just like, you're taking something and you are simply saying like, you're not supposed to get this. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We are taking your aesthetic, but it is solely being presented to a Western civilization audience. But yeah. the people where it's like, okay, where the quote-unquote, we are honoring uh, this culture, it's like, I get it, but does that come off a little problematic then, like, when the big part of the reason these characters are doing this thing, that part of the movie doesn't work if you speak Japanese? Which like, is, just, you know, almost 60% of the movie. So Yeah, so it's just like, <laughs> like that prob- that's a problem just right on its own. And I don't want to make it sound like Emily is completely just like full on calling this movie just like problematic in every nature. She because she's not. She's like she's saying this is a nuanced topic and I'm not the best person to be discussing it because yeah. I'm not which I like honestly just as a as a person who read it it was nice for somebody to just admit like hey I myself am not a native, I may be Japanese and I speak Japanese, but I'm not a native Japanese speaker. I'm not the best person on this subject, so I'm going to go to outside people. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets, refreshing. It also is one of those things where you can like kind of like read it, and I think what she does really a good job of stating is like, she specifically uses the word benign in her article. Yeah, Like something can be culturally appropriate and it can also be benign. So often we think the term cultural appropriation completely has a, I don't want to say negative connotation, but it's definitely painted in a bad light. And she's making the point, not that again, that it's not bad, but that the, it is so much more complex than that. Like, yes, something can be cultural appropriation, but that does not mean it is malignant. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's. I, I'm not going to go ahead and list a ton of examples, but there are countless examples of appropriation leading to, you know, positivity and outcome. Or I guess that's appreciation. Point is, nuanced topic. I know we really got into this in Darjeeling. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like, because it's, we it's, the got into, it's the same thing. So we already got into it. We kind of got into it a little too early because I think Darjeeling has maybe elements of it, this one feels a lot more heavy-handed. I, I, think, I think it's... I wouldn't quite agree with that, but I don't 
typical i don't particularly disagree with what you're saying i think something in the article that was uh poignant was the uh idea or at least just the what was it the uh native speakers what was the word what's the word like claim we'll just say their statement that the uh the dialogue at least used by by the japanese characters was very utilitarian it That's, was just i it loved how they described it yeah that was perfect it's just there to fulfill the fact that they need something to be said yeah because i it, there's a part where someone's like well there's the jokes that if you're a japanese like yeah. speaker like you're gonna you're gonna get more out of this film you don't get anything out out of this film if you're a japanese speaker in fact it probably actually takes away the enjoyment because the whole point of the disconnection between the dogs and humans, it's completely lost if you understand everything they're saying. So yeah. it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, I get the point, maybe you should have just added subtitles and it fixes that issue. Like, just straight up, like, maybe and it doesn't drive don't that use point. use that as a crutch for not writing good dialogue, maybe. <laughs> it's also that. There was this article uh, that I read on Slash Film about this, and the title is, is Isles of Dog, uh, an homage, wait, sorry. Is why is this? Sorry, I was having trouble reading it because this Morbius ad popped up on my screen, and it's just I'm like sorry about that. I'm just like, dude, Morbius came out like three weeks ago. It was terrible. Can't we all forget about it? I've already been that long. Yeah, I know. Gosh. And it's just like I thought I'd never have to see that trailer again, but I have to. But uh, regardless, slash film. There's this article: is Isle of Dogs cultural appropriation or a mod? And there's this part that I really want to read uh, from this article, where it's. But as the film goes on, it becomes clear that this perspective is a flimsy excuse for Anderson to indulge in his uh, quixotic vision of Japanese culture. Goes on about a, a paragraph later. From the very first shot, Anderson gleefully plays into a broad depiction of Japanese culture. Sumo wrestlers, Yakuza tattoos, sushi chefs, and Yoko Ono cameos abound. It's a beautiful pastiche of every cultural curiosity that has crossed over to the West from Japan. Uh, but wait, you might say, isn't that what the line is poking fun of? In a way, it's Wes Anderson's classic tongue-in-cheek commentary about his own limited cultural perspective. Yes or no, the line that he's specifically referring to is, I wish somebody spoke his language. And they're kind of just like, it's kind of a great description, where it's basically that this film's supposed love letter to Japan is very aesthetic driven and it's in a very western centric view oh yeah it's it's very much through a western lens yeah um well it's made by a, a dude from the west it's one of those things where if you're choosing to uh you know pay homage to a culture it's always going to be through your own lens whatever your the dominant uh you know dominant assumptions from your society about another society are they're going to be present in your work it's kind of unavoidable yeah. unless you yourself have some sort of connection to that culture but it's hard for me to go and say that straight up you shouldn't do that yeah you know? because because we don't right. want to limit what art can and cannot be again i think when we were talking about darjeeling what we hit on is that it's all about intent and respect and did wes anderson do a Good job. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's one I'm of those a, I'm not exactly the to ask. <laughs> because it's different for everybody. Someone could see this, and if they told me I found the depiction of Japanese culture offensive, you'd be like, "Sure, that makes." I could totally sense. understand. And then if and I talk to said, somebody else, and they're like, said, "I thought no, the depiction really. was completely fair, and I did not find any intent, uh, and I thought it was quite charming." I'd be like, makes sense to me. That's also completely fair. <laughs> because it lives in this kind of middle zone of just like, it, you don't really know exactly where to get on it and what to feel about it. There's this great line from Slash Film that I'll read just to finish this. And therein lies the problem. It's not the fact that Anderson uh, designed to pay homage to Japanese culture or that his fairy tale version of Jap Japan intentionally mocks or belittles the culture. It's that his version of Japan descends from a long history of cultural inventions that have historically insulted and mocked Asian characters. That's where I kind of felt with this film. Like, if I had to summarize, like, one thought of, like, where I got upset, and I was having trouble, like, kind of, like, voicing exactly what that was. 
it's because when I saw this film, there were parts of it where I'm like, that feels like they are doing something as an homage, but it is such a Western civilization and it can be so based on stereotypes that it feels just a little off. Again, yeah. I didn't find it necessarily offensive, but I can look at it. Sometimes that's the way I like describe, like, uh, did I find something culturally appropriate? Uh, did I find something to be in fault of cultural appropriation? Often I describe it as, I don't know, but it felt off to me. Yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. I'd, I'd say so. I think, I mean, that entire quote-unquote problem was uh, present from kind of the first time you heard a Japanese person speak in this movie and realized that there were no subtitles. <laughs> there were not going to be any subtitles. And you're like, oh, I, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, okay. And you're like, he's doing something. That's a choice. It and better be a good one. And it, in my opinion, it wasn't the right choice. I would have put subtitles. If I was I, if I was the studio and they were telling me it, and I was giving less notes, I would have said put subtitles. Yeah, maybe. A, I also like, would have said straight up just cut out the Tracy Walker character. Because that character... Somebody, I, and I think it was the article by Emily from Vulture that I believe somebody said it too, where they're like, the only reason Tracy Walker speaks English is yeah, because we're supposed, to, we're supposed to understand her. Yeah, where it's the sense of like, why wasn't that just the, if you really want to be like, what you're preaching, I guess, in the movie, that could have just been a Japanese student. It really could have. And also, um, if they used... If they, if the decision to, you know, have the human characters be understandable was in full effect, I think it could have led to some really funny scenes because that doesn't eliminate the whole like dogs and humans can't really understand each other through words, but only through actions part of the movie because they still wouldn't be able to understand each other. Yeah, it's and it's, they'd still get that, you know. It's it's the fact that the film almost undercuts what it's trying to do by giving a narrator character like Tilda Swinton in this film. Where it's like, okay, but you're narrating now, so now the only reason you're doing it is for this effect that we've already kind of poked holes in. And then, like, Tracy Walker is, again, undercutting what you're supposed to do. If you really wanted to tell this as a completely uh, Japanese character speaking Japanese and without subtitles, then you could have done it this way, uh, where Tracy Walker is a Japanese student. Ultimately, it just falls into this path of just, like, I watch it, and I just think that is a choice. I respect the choice. I respect I respect the ambition. I think the intent was positive and, again, benign. It just ultimately does not end up working out. And it ends up kind of just being more of a distraction than it needs to be. Yeah. That's where it is. It's not like, to me, it's like, it doesn't derail the movie. It doesn't help the movie. It is purely something that I sit there and it's like, now we have to talk about something that really wasn't the intent of the film, but yeah. was accidentally the intent of the film. Because accident or not, it's what the film is, and we have to critique art for what art is. And that's kind of where the mess gets. And Yeah, but I think the word distracting was perfectly encapsulating there, because the, the true, we spent so much time on this, and the true heart of the movie is between Chief and Atari. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it that, truly that's, is, that's, and we, we, haven't haven't really, even, we haven't even talked about that, and that is where the real movie is. The know? reason, like, I, I haven't brought it up, and we're about to start wrapping up our thoughts on it, because we wanted to keep this episode a little bit shorter. It's also straight up because I don't really care about the relationship between Chief and Atari. I just don't. Like, I just, yeah, the chemistry's kind of there. I think Brian Cranston is, he's not phoning it in this movie. I, I don't think Cranston is capable of phoning in a performance. But he's asked to essentially play Brian Cranston. Where he's supposed that. to be a little bit tougher... <laughs> Uh, like just the, the sterner figure, and yeah. they're like, "That's what we want you because we want you to basically be Walter White, like in those as more aggressive moments <laughs> as a dog." Where it's just like, "Okay, that's not really a character." I just reviewed a film, The Bubble, which is this film about a bunch of actors who make a movie during the pandemic. And the issue I have is actually pretty similar that I have to Isle of Dog, where I describe that movie is, you got famous people in there, and I like the actors in that movie because I like the actors. 
but their characters aren't good. So yes, while I'm laughing because I like those actors and I like the comedic sensibilities they can bring, doesn't make the characters that good. That's what I found yeah. about Isle of Dogs. It's like, yeah, I like Bill Murray. I think he's really funny. I can listen to Bill Murray deliver dialogue all day. That does not make his strength as an actor is not able to completely save a poorly written or underdeveloped character. Yeah, and also what I have to, again, compare this to, say, Fantastic Mr. Fox with is that the character designs are so held back by the fact that they're all just supposed to be house dogs. And again, I love dogs. Dogs are great. And dogs are very cute. But if I'm thinking back on this movie, it's hard for me to picture the characters that are dogs. And that are not chief. That's why when I was doing the graphic design for the Wild Wild West, the first round where I had all those Isle of Dog characters, I'm like, crap. Because originally I just had the picture of the dog there. And I'm like, no one's going to know who that is. It's just a dog. So I'm like, okay, I have to put Edward Norton next to Rex. So people know that's like, that's Edward Norton voicing that character. Like, oh, that's Jeff Goldblum voicing that character. Yeah. So you kind of remember, because this film is solely based off, not characters, uh, aesthetics of the performer. Yeah, and I think this also, if we're going back to our, your thoughts on Wes Anderson, how style can, you know, replace substance. I think this is a perfect example of that because Wes Anderson seems to be such a visually striking filmmaker that when something is not catching your eye, it's really easy to ignore. Yeah. Because say, uh, again, um, Life Aquatic, man, those costumes are still burned into my head with how brightly colored they were. <laughs> and Fantastic Mr. Fox, all of the animals had their own clothes, and they were different animals, first of all. And they just, they all were so distinct. And Grand Budapest Hotel with the striking purple, it was so cool to see. And Isle of Dogs didn't have any of that. It really doesn't. That was it had I... the symmetry, kinda. It, <laughs> it has the look. It has the look, but it doesn't it has, have it the, has the look. feel. It doesn't have the feel, and it doesn't... The look isn't supporting much. Exactly, because the script's just not strong enough. Yeah. That's my issue with the film overall. There's so much more we could we could talk about. I mean, we talked about the cultural appropriation issues of Tracy Walker. We didn't even touch into the fact that she so easily could fall into the realm of the white savior yeah. uh, complex. Uh, there's issues like that. There's things that we could have talked about a little bit more of the development of those dogs. Uh, ultimately, I just didn't feel like it was a particularly relevant talk because you're gonna, you already got our sense of the film. Everything's just kind of okay. Yeah, like, it was, it was perfectly serviceable. If you feel like you might enjoy it, you probably will. If you yeah. don't think you might enjoy it, you probably won't. It's, 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 it's to me, bottom. I probably bottom three Anderson. Like, there's definitely one film that, I'm in particular, and I've already teased it. We'll get to it next week. That I dislike more than this film. But honestly, after that, like, I might prefer this film over Bottle Rocket. But we're starting to get close, where it's just like this film really doesn't do anything. I prefer Darjeeling uh, to this film. I think Darjeeling at least has an emotional core that I never got with this movie. I would. I will say the character relations in Darjeeling were much stronger than in Isle of Dogs. Yeah, and I much stronger. I, I don't know which like, one I would rather watch again, though, because Isle of Dogs. I again, I still love stop motion animated, especially things that look particularly like this. But <laughs> you know, Darjeeling never gets to the. Uh, I, I never found Darjeeling to feel overlong or bloated. Where this film, yeah. I'm like, I'm watching it. I was at the gym watching it yesterday. And I'm just sitting there, and as I leave from my hour of workout, I'm like, okay, I have to be pretty close to done, like, with this film. And then I'm like, I still have close, close to, half like, of it. I'm like, I still have a little bit close to half. And I'm just like, okay, let's do this. Let's finish it. And, again, it sounds like I crapped on this film. I really didn't mean to. I, it's a 2.5 out of 4 stars for me, which means I am giving it a positive review. But it's just okay. I, that yeah. is my best word to describe it. I found it competently made with its charm at times but overall not very memorable 
that's yeah. my review of Isle of Dogs. Joel, do you want to kind of just say your review? If you had to rate sure. it on a four star, uh, if I had to do four, I was about to say two out two out of five or two point five out of five for two point five out of four for me. But again, to all of those uh, Isle of Dogs stands out there, more power to you, I guess. Like, yeah, respect. It's respect. perfectly. It's perfectly fine. I had I didn't dislike it. I liked it more than I didn't. Definitely, I just didn't. I don't fall in love with it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so yeah, that is our topic of discussion for it. Before we move into the great debate, I did just want to say the final four has been finalized and the voting is going on. Joel, I just wanted to let you know the final four. It is Steve Zissou versus Mr. Fox right now in a battle that seems to be favoring Steve Zissou, but uh, by the time this episode comes out tomorrow, we will have the winner fully after the 48 hours of uh, battle. And then it is Max Fisher versus Monsieur Gustave. Oh, uh, and Clash of the Titans. I can. I'm going to say it here because it, I don't see it getting closer. Monsieur Gustave uh, ran away with it. Ouch! <laughs> like pretty. Like I think it's kind of like seventy thirty in Gustave's favor. So. That will be, by the time you're listening to it, I think the results will be finalized, so you'll be hearing that. But that means we're going to have that. I, the coolest thing to me about this Final Four was it was four different movies. I thought that was really cool, that there is ten Wes Anderson films. Four of them are represented in the Final Four. That's great. Yeah, that's really cool. With that, Joel, you ready for this? Hey, this is Ben here from Ben and Brand See a Movie. I did just want to let you guys know that there was an audio issue. Half the audio got lost for the Great Debate. So my question really just, I couldn't do anything with it. So I ended up just deleting that segment. And it's just Jalal's question for this week. So apologies for that issue. But jumping back to Jalal. Here we go. Uh, which means Jalal. The floor is here for you to sweep this week. The floor is me. What? Okay. Uh, so. If Wes Anderson were to make another animal-centric movie, what animal would you like and why? What, what animal even really suits Wes Anderson's style? Like, that's another issue where I'm sitting there and I'm just like, what animal could do that? And I'm just like, do I want to go the basic answer of monkeys? I'm thinking about it because I'm struggling to think of anything else. I said like, monkeys I is a great answer. I think it is a good answer, but uh, ultimately, I am going to do uh, squirrels. Squirrels, interesting, because I had a different but similar answer. Let me give my justification for squirrels. Yeah. I think the scattered brain nature of a squirrel is adds for an ability to have great comedic timing with these characters. I just the idea of like a character basically being able to deliver dialogue and just kind of forget about it the next moment, I think adds a lot of humor. There's this thing, I guess, where uh, teenagers, teenage squirrels could be quite depressed slash suicidal, which <laughs> is kind of the ninja squirrels, which is kind of the idea of like, I think the either the study or the rumors, because it's probably just a folk lore about squirrels is like that, that they're suicidal depressed because you always see squirrels running in front of cars and it's like kind of them getting their adrenaline and excitement mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of depression. If we're going based on the stereotypes of squirrels, that dark humor is very well suited for a Wes Anderson. Very nice. Like he could make a really funny teenage squirrel going through an angsty period film. So basically I think I just pitched Rushmore. But with squirrels. squirrels. <laughs> I was thinking uh, birds, actually. Did it! <laughs> Did it! Why didn't I think of birds? I was sitting in front of every animal. I thought penguins for a brief second. Penguins are cool. So, yeah, like, I, I guess it's not really one type of animal, but it is. You oh, know, dude, you can have vultures, toucans. Yeah, you can have all of these different animals with wildly different personalities and strikingly different designs. Oh, and, and the so, looks. Like, you yeah, can have a really cool solve there. a lot of the issues. <laughs> of aesthetic. Some of the visual issues of Isle of Dogs. Where is squirrel such a boring freaking animal? <laughs> <laughs> because, like, I don't know, they just... And, you know, that whole thing with crows having memories of things, you could have all the different birds have different personalities, but still keep it very, you could make, you could still make it very Wes Anderson. No, I agree. That's a great answer. Can I get one more attempt? Because I thought Absolutely. of an answer that I liked Absolutely. better. Okay. 
I just, I'm going to pitch this film for you real quickly. And they're not technically an animal that is still with us today. But a Wes Anderson dinosaur film would be really funny. Here's what? my idea of the pitch for it. It's the dinosaurs. It's Don't Look Up, which is a movie I dislike. Okay. But it's for dinosaurs, where the dinosaurs discover a meteor as a meteor. And it's like they have 48 <laughs> hours to kind of grapple with their life and humanity as it's about to end due to the catastrophic destruction of what the meteor would bring. I think that dark humor is there. I think there is a bit of a social political commentary that Wes Anderson would be able to thrive with that. Uh, talking about the bird designs, you just get so much like liveliness with dinosaurs. I think you could get all types of looking ones where you could have some that are flying, some that are on the ground, some that are uh, herbivores, some that are carnivores. I think there's a lot of humor involved. The fact that like there could be this whole thing where like dinosaurs like kind of realize that they're eating each other. And what does that mean? Uh, all this. I think there's a lot of humor that could be dived into if we were looking into the destruction of their humanity in the last like 72 hours before they realize we're all going to die. What does life mean? I think it could take that nihilistic approach that Wes Anderson can do so well and approach it with dark comedy, but also have something a little bit more heartfelt in it. That's my pitch. Just ignore the squirrels. Ignore the squirrels. Ignore the squirrels. That's just uh, the American River Parkway's stance on the levee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, some specific great, Sacramento humor. That's some great right off Highway 50 humor for you. Uh, <laughs> those local Sacramento guys who understand. Shout out to you three who understand that. And one of, one of them is right here. Yeah, and the other one's here. <laughs> so uh, shout out to that one other person who's like, I get that joke. That <laughs> feels like it was tailor made for me. <laughs> it was for whoever you are. <laughs> All right. And on that note, <laughs> with that said, thank you for listening to our episode of the Wild Wild West. We will be back for next week in our final installment of the Wes Anderson movie, specifically The French Dispatch. And just a quick shout out to all of you guys who have been voting for the Wes Anderson bracket. I know on Reddit, I checked right before we went live. I had a hundred and like thirty comments on the post that I made. People going back and forth with each other, all talking. There's been so many votes. I think we have over five thousand votes that have already been cast just in the past few weeks. So for all that support, for all you guys checking it out for your first time, thank you so much. Please take a second to subscribe, check out my channel, check out this, we're doing so much fun stuff, so thank you all for being here, uh, and yeah, tune in next week for The French Dispatch, where we finish our films of Wes Anderson. Thank you all for participating, and if you have anything to say about The French Dispatch, shoot me a comment, I might throw it on next week's uh, show, and we can discuss it. Thank you all, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.